Hey, thank you for coming to church to have church today. Wow. I can tell you guys that this past week I had to have a uh, surgical procedure performed on the uh, back part of my scalp, and I, it's, it's healing, but I, I debated. I, I thought maybe I'd have to wear a hat. I almost did, and, and I, I, I thought I could pull it off as long as those guys don't do a headshot down. But anyway, a, a real dear friend of mine that I met a long time ago when he, when he was graduating from uh, Allegheny High School, John Hancox, is a, is a, uh, a nationally renowned uh, uh, surgeon. And uh, so he, uh, he, was, he was performing this uh, uh, thing on my head, and, uh, and, he, and he had to take a, 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 a graft of skin from my chest, uh, the one little patch of my chest where there's like a couple hairs growing out of it, other than that. So anyway, so, uh, <laughs> so he said, he said, Tim, there's about a one and a half percent shot that when we graft this on top, it might grow a few strands of hair. I said, go for it, John. I said, I said, go for it, John. And so he started the procedure, and as he did, I, and he was, he was, he was numbing uh, my, my head, and I couldn't help myself. I said, John, no one will ever be able to say to you that you never had a numb skull in your chair. So he started laughing, but his, his surgical hand was good. So God bless you, John. Thank you for everything. Palm Sunday, can you believe it? Palm Sunday? Huh? Next week is Easter? What in the world? I mean, where? here we go. Palm Sunday. I want to talk to you this morning on the thought, what would the rocks cry out? And we're going to go to Luke 19. We're going to do Palm Sunday in Luke. We've jumped way ahead from chapter 2 to 19. We're going to go back later. What would the rocks cry out? And we're going to start in verse 28, and here, here is the word of the Lord. After Jesus had said this, now just look at me for a minute. After Jesus had said this, well, what's the, this he said? That's where my inquisitive mind goes. So if, if yours is there, I had to have to tell you. The this that he said prior to what we're about to read, he had just told a parable for this reason. He was going into Jerusalem, and most, most people thought that going into Jerusalem, the kingdom of God was going to come the way they thought the kingdom of God was going to come. So he told them a parable to explain that it wasn't going to happen like they thought it would. It was going to happen in a different way. And in that parable, regarding three investors and, and a group of people who rejected the, the right of the king... The three investors were, were given an allotment of, of, of his treasure and told to go and invest it. And we know the story, two did a great job and one didn't. And what happened to the one that didn't and what happened to the ones that did after a long time after the king went away and he came back. Also that when he came back, the, the, those who, who, who destroyed his son uh, were, were severely judged and uh, those who refused to invest wisely uh, paid with their soul. So that's what he had said, and now he is on procession. After he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. I love this. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, would you say this out loud with me? The Lord needs it. Say it again. The Lord needs it. Verse 32. Those who were sent ahead went and, say this with me, found it just as he told them. Isn't that Jesus? Right? As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, say it, the Lord needs it. Let me just stop for a minute and talk about the cult thing. 
God has planned moments from the foundation of the world for every person. Of course, Jesus is the, is the apostle and pioneer of our faith, right? So Jesus had the spirit of God. Never, he always had the spirit of God. He is God. He never, he never stopped being God. But in the waters of the Jordan at his baptism, he was given for ministry purposes as, as, the, as the man, son of man, the spirit without measure, right? And so we're seeing a ministry of the spirit without measure, and Luke's going to show us later that this ministry of the spirit went from Jesus to the apostles to the church in the day of Pentecost on to others and other nations, and as we've said before, Acts has no ending. We're in the age of the spirit. The manifestation of the spirit continues on. Jesus is operating in what we would now call the gift of the word of knowledge, Okay? But he has the spirit without measure, so he just operated in it at his Father's will. God's sovereign rule over all things is seen in that Jesus knows what's unfolding, even down to the fact of that cult, and that someone, he saw it before it even happened. Verse 35, they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. Man, I'll tell you, since the worship, I'm feeling a stirring in the top of the mulberry trees in our church today. Here is one riding in humility to serve and not be served. He's riding onward to die. Verse 37, when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God, and here's Luke, in loud voices. Why? He tells us why even. For all the miracles they had seen. Stop there. If If you bring John's account in, you find out what they were really hooting and hollering about. Just a few days prior, only about a four to five mile journey, he raised a man from the dead named Lazarus. And so that throng went with him. Hey, that's a good guy to hook up with. He's raising dead people up. Let's see what he's going to do next. And here they go. Imagine with me the buzz in that moment as they go over the crest of the hill. Imagine the anticipation and excitement in a crescendo of celebration and worship being released on that hill. Imagine the shock and awe of the temple priesthood as the crowd is shouting. And they're thinking, they've never done this for Caiaphas. They've never done this for Herod. 500 years before Zechariah spoke of this moment, 500 years before in his prophecy, He says that they will say, verse 38, blessed is the king. Didn't you love worship today? Kev, I dug your drumming today, man. Listen, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, those who knew the prophecy of Zechariah might have been waiting for something else in that prophecy to happen because Zechariah said, when the Messiah stands foot on the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Olives will split in two pieces. They might have been waiting because to them, this was that day. Jesus had to do a parable to show them it wasn't, but they didn't get that. Just like they didn't get anything else he said. They didn't way get it either. But it wasn't going to be that part of the day of the Lord, but this was a part of the day of the Lord. This is the day the Lord has made for for the offering to be tied to the altar. Somewhere in the future... When the king returns, that mountain's going to split. Why do we know it? Because God always keeps his word. It will happen just as the Lord says. 
But this is another aspect of the Messianic work. The suffering one will be wounded in the house of his friends, says Zechariah, and they will look upon the one they pierce. He's no threat to Rome here. He's not on a stallion coming in to claim his kingly rights. He's on a baby colt of a donkey, and he's riding in peace. He's not against Rome, and they're not against him at this point. It's the people who have been claiming to worship the God of Moses who are against him. And he's flipped it upside down with a new kingdom manifestation. Unlike the glory when Yahweh showed Moses his hinder parts and passed by declaring his name that made the earth shake. Here is a peasant preacher in dirty garments. And heaven's glory is veiled except for people who have kingdom eyes. The glory of a king is not seen because he's a common, ordinary man. There is nothing of his appearance that we would desire him. But this triggers the Jewish leaders because they know that this crowd is calling this a biblical moment. And they say it's blasphemy. Jesus is actually moving forward into his destiny, and he has been doing this from the start. Now he's directing the sequence of events that will lead him to die, and he knows it. Verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, they weren't saying king, teacher, rebuke your disciples. No, they're not our disciples. They're whacked. And he says, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Well, the crowd didn't keep quiet, so the stones remained silent. But in my imagination, and here's where I want you to go with me today. In my imagination, all creation was singing. The psalmist said it, all creation sings the praises of the Lord. Isaiah said the whole earth is filled with his glory. David said in Psalm 8, you have even from the mouths of infants and children ordained praise to silence your enemies. So what would the rocks cry out if we could hear them? Creation has cried out before in the Bible. The ground announced the cry of justice for Abel's blood all the way to reach the celestial city of God and lay at the feet of the king's throne. But this king is now on a donkey. He's not come for war. He's not come for vengeance on the human race. No, he's come to crush the serpent's head, triumphing over him in the cross. That video was rocking awesome, wasn't it? And he's come to weep. Weep over those who are missing the moment, rejecting it, due to misunderstanding and projecting onto Jesus what they want him to be. And he's weeping over those who cannot see. He's not making a noise about it. He's not making a statement. He's just weeping. He's cry, quietly riding on. He's coming to a place of weeping. Why? Because he knows the consequences about decisions made about him that are negative, that will seal their fate. But he also knows that there are others who will make decisions that will seal their salvation. Verse 41, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you, here he is again, He's, 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 he's full of spirit. He knows what's going to happen. 
Your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you on every side. They will dash you to the ground. Here's why he's weeping. You and your children within your walls, they will not leave one stone on another. And here's why. Because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. A friend of mine asked a question on Facebook this past week. She said, not to be morbid, but what would you like your tombstone to say? And I wrote back a funny thing, but then I began to think. We talked last week about counting your days, calculating your, I got 8,000 some days if I'm going to live. Anyway, hmm? here's what we don't want on our, on our tombstone. Here lies Tim McGregor, who didn't recognize the time of God's coming to him. May that never be said of you or yours or your children or your grandchildren because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. What is heartbreaking about these words? Within 50 years, the Roman general Titus would do every single Thing Jesus said in his oracle of doom and woe as he wept. As surely as he knew about the cult, he knew about what was going to happen to Jerusalem tragically because they did not recognize the day of God's coming to them. May this never be said of you. May it never be said of me. May it never be said of your children or your grandchildren or the LOH. Instead, may it be said... May God bless you and your family and your children and your children and your children and your children. I think I heard a song about that. To a thousand generations. May that be said of you. May that be said of me. And on to the temple he rides. Verse 45, when Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house, that's what the church is. It's not the church house. It's his house. It'll be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. Verse 47, every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were what? Trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it. Why? Because, say this with me, all the people hung on his words. It's no guarantee of safety that you won't suffer in the will of God. But here's, here's a guarantee of safety. Until it's God's will for you to suffer, one of the best ways to be protected is to be around a bunch of people who are hanging on every word of Jesus. And I haven't even started my message yet. One of the most secure places to be is around people who are hanging on every word of Jesus. So what would the rocks cry out? What would the rocks cry out? Number one, would they cry out in celebration? He's here. He's here. Proverbs 30, verse 4, who has gone up to heaven and come down? The Holy Spirit was stirring up the, the writer of the Proverbs even back in generations gone to think about this. Whose hands have gathered up the wind? Who has wrapped up the waters in a cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And Jewish friends, what is the name of his son? Surely you know. Hmm? 
He's here, the rocks would say. Who is the he? The one who walked in the cool of the day with Adam. The pulsating harmonics of all created things in paradise, the Garden of Eden, will someday be heard again when he cracks the skies and comes back to reign for a thousand years as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Who is he? He came down in the desert to the burning bush. He split the rocks and declared his name to Moses, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. Who is he? Isaiah asks in 63, the watchmen call out, who goes there marching out of Eden, out of Basra, in clothes dyed red? Name yourself, so splendidly dressed, advancing in power. It is I, the Lord, mighty to save. Why are your clothes so red? I've been treading the wine press alone. No one was there to help me. Isaiah later cries through Israel, Oh, that you might rend the heavens and come down. Well, he's down. But he doesn't look like Yahweh. He's a poor peasant preacher. If they don't praise, the rocks will cry out. And they'll tell you, he's here. Our creator is here. Creation had groaned for him. And then he came into our realm like a release valve from the pressure of being subjected to the cursed ground due to Adam's sinning. And the rocks of all creation had a moment of true sabbatical from the groaning, enduring it on the face by the corruption of people living on God's earth, marring Yahweh's image. But in this moment, As he walks and rides, they're fine-tuned again, at least temporarily, as the one who made them with his hands came close and veiled glory. Creation was shouting. Imagine, can you hear them? Creation groaned before that, and creation after he left would groan again, as Paul said. Creation's groaning again, but at this moment they weren't. They were celebrating, and he rode on. Creation is groaning again right now, but it's a different kind of groaning than before the king came. Because when the king came, he went to a cross and he broke hell. And he declared it's finished. And the earth quaked and the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. And the stone was rolled away. Someone going to help me preach today? And he ascended on high to fill the universe, Lord of all. Creation's groaning, but not in aching and chaos. It's groaning in anticipation. Like Carly Simon sang. Oh, anyway. Romans 8, the created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. Everything in creation is being more or less held back. God reigns it in until both creation and all creatures are ready and can be released at the same moment into the glorious times ahead Meanwhile, the joyful anticipation deepens, and Paul is writing that after being whipped and beaten and kicked out of a city and on to the next. He goes on, all around us we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pains, but it's not only around us, it's within us. If we are born of his spirit by truly receiving Jesus Christ, the spirit of God is arousing us within. We're also feeling the birth pains. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. Amen? I'm tired of getting older, but it's, it's better than the other option. That is why 
Waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what's enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become and the more joyful our expectancy. Our king is going to come back again. And the spirit of him who is within us now bears witness to the truth. Right? Can you feel it? What else would the rocks cry out? Number two, they would cry out, look, listen closely. The crowd was shouting, blessed is he, but they'd be apart within seven days saying, crucify him. The Pharisees growled, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Zechariah said, 500 years before God is coming to you. Look, it won't look like God. He's coming on a donkey, meek and mild. Listen closely. Do you see? Can you hear? The psalmist prophesied about Messiah that he would speak things never uttered before and he'd do them in parables. I will utter things never yet spoken since the foundation of the world, the Holy Spirit said. When Jesus spoke those parables, he would conclude everyone by saying, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Right? Zechariah saw down through the centuries, 500 years, people waiting. You know, there are people today waiting for an alien invasion. You know, there are Christian people waiting for an alien invasion. Wondering what's in Area 51. You know what we should be wondering? What's in Isaiah 53? What's in Isaiah 61? Do you know the owner of the earth already invaded the aliens? We were aliens, Colossians said. Alienated from God by our own choice. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned our own way. In the Colossian letter, Paul says, alienated by hostility of soul toward him in our minds due to our sinful behavior. Aliens. Yet God sent his son to be the savior of the world and invade. Because of who he is, he came and he preached peace to us who were near and peace to those who were far away. He became our offering ID to God. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Isaiah 53 says, The Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And they're saying, Look, listen. Think of a moment of opportunity you'd like to have back in your life. I'm thinking to myself, just one? When I wasn't listening. When I or you were too busy to behold the moment of God. Too calloused in our soul. Too carnal and caught up to notice a God moment, a turning point. An opportunity of a lifetime came our way, but we missed it because we thought the lifetime of that opportunity would last. And we weren't listening The priesthood beheld that day. They knew what was going on, and they said, stop them. He came in an unexpected way, upside down. They thought, God can work in my life according to my terms. He can grace my coat, but I'm not loosening it. The devil told me so from a pulpit. The rocks cry out, look, listen closely. Something very big is happening here, and if you aren't really looking and listening, you're going to miss it personally, and you're going to miss it eternally. Jesus' predictions came true about Jerusalem, which means the end of the age predictions will come true as well. And here's what he said about then. It will be just like Noah's day. They were buying and selling. That's not sin. 
They were marrying and giving in marriage. That's not sin. And knew nothing. In other words, they were busy in normal living up even to the day Noah entered the ark and knew nothing until the flood came. And listen now, took them all away. So shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. I said, so shall it be. I know we don't want to hear that. So shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. The only difference, no more water, fire next time. Did God really say? Yes, he did. I was imagining Jesus weeping over the city, and then I began to think, what would I feel like if I saw Jesus crying over the poor? What would I feel like if I saw Jesus crying over a broken soul? What would happen to me if I saw him crying over America? Weeping over people conning themselves, lying to themselves about their own soul condition. What if you saw Jesus weeping over you? Over those who've been around the church all their lives but never releasing to God what he died to claim of their lives. What did he die to claim? A surrendered will and a call to you to trust him and obey him And until we do, you can put a sign in your yard that says, just be kind, but you're in disobedience. And he's weeping over you because you and I sometimes are not recognizing the day of God's visitation. Don't strengthen a person in their disobedience with kindness. They might actually believe you. What would the rocks cry out? Number three, let him in. John 1 verse 10, he was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Well, that's one thing. The world's lost, right? What about this? 11. He came to that which was his own. And his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him. What's that mean? To those who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God, children born not of human descent, nor a human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. And he came to offer to you and to me the chance of an eternal lifetime. Someone's knocking at your door. Somebody's ringing the bell. Do him a favor. Open the door and let him in. Oh, yeah. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. I will fellowship with them and they will fellowship with me. Do you hear the rocks cry out? Let him in. Number four, would they cry out, let him lead you. Let him lead you. Paul says it like this. Thanks be to God who always leads us as what? Captives. If we want to have the blessing of God, we have to be captured by Christ in the things of Christ. Thank, so, so the Jeremiah deal, scripture about, I know the plans I have for you. That, that doesn't... That doesn't apply to those who won't unloose their colt. 
It says captives. They understood that culture back then. Daryl Bach in his great Luke commentary says it like this. Typically, a victorious king came in. The only person I've ever heard say this better is Devin McGregor, Towson University grad, my son. Anyway, typically, a victorious king came into a city escorted by the, uh, you, you owe me a milkshake, uh, escorted by the cities of his, citizens of his kingdom and his army. As he entered, songs were sung in praise and acclamation of the conqueror, and he came with symbols of his victory and authority. Finally, he came into the city's prominent temple, and he made a sacrifice honoring to, uh, offering to honor the gods and associate himself with them. The emperor is God. God is the emperor. That was Caesar's words. The gospel flips it on its head. Jesus enters in on a donkey with a motley crew behind him, a scroungy bunch of 12 and the following singers, and little kids shouting Hosanna. The most powerful image was a humble donkey and palm branches. And he enters the city and he doesn't offer up a sacrifice, but he busts up the temple and claims it is Father's house. Here's the question I ask myself today, I ask you, are we conquered by him? He always leads triumphant those who are captive. Am I loosed from what's bound me? Am I willing to let loose whatever he asks for regardless of the cost? Jesus leads captives. Jesus brings triumph in the life of a bond servant, not a boss. If he hasn't won our allegiance and devotion, he, you haven't won. You're losing, I'm losing, blindly losing, and losing way more than we realize. And it will be said on our stone, because they didn't know the day of God's coming to them. Is the Lord asking to untether anything in me or you? And if so, why are we asking him why? Disciples don't ask why when there is a clear word of obedience. They might ask why in the storm. Even David did. But when it comes to clear obedience, the Lord isn't looking for us to say why. Why? Because we've been bought with a price and we're not our own. Here's our answer to our why. The Lord needs it. And he's not wanting a question. He's wanting, yes, Lord. I'm wanting to trust and obey you in this thing. Jesus wants to take his seat on the thing he has claimed that needs to be loosed in our life and given completely to him so we can ride with him victoriously into the things he wants to do. And the rocks would say, let him lead. Let him lead. And finally, number five, would the rocks cry out, look, he'll be coming back again. I love this passage. From 1 Thessalonians chapter four, Paul says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with the loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will what? Rise first. Man, I've got 
friends and my dad. People. They're going to rise first. After that, we who are still alive, there will be a generation of people living on the earth, loving Jesus. When this happens, what if it be me? What if it be you? What if it be us? After that, he who is still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, don't ever preach on this. It might make people nervous. Don't ever mention this again. Only once a year. People freak out on the thing about the coming of the Lord. Don't do it. That's what the devil says. You know why he says that? Because this is what happens when you preach this. It encourages people. It encourages people. There's something up around the bend. His name is Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and it'll be worth it all when he cracks the skies and comes back and says your name and mine. Everything happened precisely. Remember, remember Emmaus Road? Cleopas and the other guy? The seven-mile walk when it all went down and nothing happened and we had thought and we had hoped? And he goes, why are you so slow? Didn't, didn't the, the prophets say? You know what else the prophets say? You know what else the prophets say? You know what else the prophets say? Do you know why the first group of people misunderstood the coming kingdom? Because more messianic prophecies point to the second coming than the first one. And Jesus preached more about that than anything else he preached that about. Everything happened exactly the way God said it. That's what Jesus said on that seven-mile walk. Everything happened as it should. From Genesis through the birth, the life, the ministry, the death, the burial, even in a rich man's tomb, it's all there. Even the resurrection, Jesus the Messiah. So if all that happened, I wonder if he'll come back again. I wonder if he'll come back again. I wonder if God will keep his word. Jesus said he would. Paul said, according to the Lord's own word, I say to you, the Lord himself. Come on now. The rocks would be saying, he's going to come back again. Will you be ready? You don't want to wait because you don't know when to go, where's that coat? Where's my wallet? Lord, give me two more days and I'll obey you. I've really tied this knot of disobedience and I even put grace on it. I even have Christian friends agreeing with me. I even joined the denomination so I could do it. Watch, for the Son of Man will come like a thief in the night. Be ready with your lamps burning. Be like a wise investor, filled to overflowing with investments that have compounded with great weight and interest over a lifetime of faithful living, obedient to his voice. Be like them, loosed from the ties of self-will and carnal Christianity and lukewarm worship and be longing for his appearing. Your song's crying out, even so, come Lord Jesus. Liberated and bonded, servant in triumphal procession, even if you look like a loser. Even if you have a coat and books and you're in a sewer hole in Rome and every church that you founded has been Judaized and the devil's screaming in your ear to Paul that you got nothing and your own friends have left you and Luke probably won't even make it, neither will Timothy, you're gonna die like this. You know what he said? There is a crown waiting for me. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He didn't say I kept my church. He said I've kept the faith. Come on, somebody. Here's a question. 
Will you be a statesman when he comes? If you're a young Jenner and it's a while, but it's in your life, you'll be a stateswoman rooted in the house of the Lord. As an older man or woman, you're still expecting him to come and you're turning a new generation toward a prophetic guidance with powerful songs of affirmation over their life. If you're a young Jenner, will you be young and vibrant now ministering to your elders under the authority of the man of God, the word of God, the house of God, the people of God? If you want to use a delegated authority from heaven, you have to be under authority. If Jesus were to come in these younger days of yours, are you blessed and are you being a blessing? Are you making foolproof of the promises he's planted in the womb of your soul? Maybe it's just foolproof by waiting like Simeon did. Or will we join the Christian snoozers and be asleep, holding on to our cult? It's mine. My plans, my money, my little world. My way in the name of churchianity. Look, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him and even those who pierced him and all the earth will mourn because it's too late. Even so, John said, come, Lord Jesus. Let's not be those who shrink back and have to go find our lamp because we left it somewhere with our devotional book that melted in the backseat heat of the summer day in your car. A Bible with the gold still stuck together because you've only read about three parts of a couple chapters. Let's not be like those. Let's be on fire. If we're broken, let's get up and keep walking with Jesus. If we gotta go back to the cross, we gotta go back to the cross. If we gotta go find our colt, if we owe him back tithes, if we've been saying no to something God's been saying yes to do, if we're trying to reposition ourselves to be someone in something where God says, I don't want you that. That doesn't impress me even though everybody thinks it's something from God. I want you to do what I told you to do. I want you to. When he comes back, I don't want to still be praying about obedience. Is our worship festive when Jesus stays in bounds and blesses us according to our wants? Only to then go stale or stop when he assumes a different position and turns over our tables? Or ask for something we hold to, we claim ownership of? Is our temple cluttered? Or does the essence of worship and hunger for him speak loud and clear? Is Jesus riding as king over our lives? Does his glory fill our spirits? Glory fill his church? It's his church. Let today be the day, O oh Lord. The rocks don't have to cry out because I'm saying, Lord, it's all yours. All my failures, all my, all my, all my stupidity, all my weaknesses, any victory belongs to you, not me. If I've ever stumbled into victory, I've stumbled as a captive to you. I don't want to be captive to anything else. I don't want to be captive to my past shame. I don't want to be captive to my, to my pride. I don't want to be captive to my own way of looking at things, my own interpretation of you. We all see through a glass darkly. All we need to do, Lord, is say, here I am. Send me. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. I'll, I'll untie every colt. 
we should be on the side that we loose everything, even the things that God didn't tell us we had to, just to be sure. If you're wondering what the 10% in doubt, give 11. And he came up over the hill and looked over the city. And he knew within a week he'd be on a cross with two thieves on each side. And nobody but a few people who were there believed one thing he said. One disciple had committed suicide and the other 11 were hiding for their lives and only John was at his feet with, his, with Jesus' mother and his aunt. And they didn't leave there saying my son was the son of God, but a Roman soldier did. And one of those thieves on the cross asked him to remember him when he came into his kingdom and the Lord said, today. That's how much mercy and grace he has for all of us. None of us, none of us, none of us will ever accomplish anything eternally that he didn't grace us to do. He's wonderful. He forgives every sin. He forgives the worst things you could ever imagine. He forgives the things that no one knows but you and him. He forgives, 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 and releases us so we can live in a release of freedom and forgiveness and mercy. And the world needs that Jesus. Lord, we pray that as we spend some moments around these altars, here at the front or at our seats, that men and women of God people who have once again had a, a new fire rekindled to be, to be uh, on fire for you with lamps blazing, oil filled, hearts ablaze, others who are struggling and know it and are, are weeping and mourning in honest repentance before you today, saying, Jesus, I love you. You know I love you. I'm yours. All my junk, all my stuff, I, I'm yours, I'm yours, I'm yours. And for those who have never said yes, and you've been around the cross, you've been around the church, you've listened to sermons, you have so many sermons you've listened to that you could go and fake it and preach and see nations saved because you know the gospel, but you don't live it and you're not in it. And the Jesus is calling your name. He's calling your name. And all you have to do is say, Lord, here I am. I open my heart. And he'll come in. Do that today, Lord, we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit. And may the glory of your power be released in each one of our lives today as we open our heart in honesty to you, asking you, Lord, here we are. Use us. Behold, behold, the King comes. And this is a moment of his visitation. Let's allow him to have a visit with each of us in Jesus' name.